What upsets you? Maybe enormous lines or an irritable boss, or is it the impatient drivers on the freeway? Well, next on Grow in Grace, we'll see what upset Jesus so much that it produces a physical and verbal response from him. He was angry, a normal, natural response. Anger is the necessary counterpart to love. If you have children and somebody's trying to hurt your child, you get angry or your grandchild or whatever it is. God built those emotions of protection in us. How we respond or how we focus that anger is the difference. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place God will dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. Do you find it hard to imagine Jesus getting angry? I mean, when we think of Jesus Christ, pictures of love, kindness, gentleness, and grace usually flash through our minds, right? Well, as we're about to see our Lord got very upset at something going on in the temple, and rightly so. Welcome to Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray is leading us through the New Testament, and we join him today in John chapter 2, where you might say, Jesus cleans house. You see, we do what many people think is strange around here, but we do other things to reach all different groups of people. Do things here to invite people to come and see that we're not weird. We're just people that normal folks that have a life that have discovered Jesus in it. Everything we do, we try and we pass through that filter. We have a weekly staff meeting, all the pastors meet, and we talk about what we can do to make it easier to come here to church. So that's why we went to two services, because the time in between the services when we had three was so crowded, there were people losing their salvation just trying to get out of the parking lot. I'm teasing again. <laughs> Put more space so people can get in, find a parking place and walk in, go to the cafe and get some coffee or something like that. You see, it's all part of this mentality. We're here. Jesus said we are to be fishers of men. And God uses all kinds of bait. Some are dragster motors. Some are women's ministries exploding this year. They were like, 80 women here. The parking lot looked like a Sunday morning on Wednesday. There were another 60 plus on Tuesday night. We're an unusual church. Most churches are more than, six, in America, 62% of all churches are women. This church is about 50-50 because we go after guys. Jesus is a man's man. He's flipping over tables here in the temple and nobody's stopping him. Okay, don't tell me he's wimpy. He's Superman. <laughs> so that's what's going on here. He's upset because Gentiles, non-believers, can't get to the temple to see God. And so he finds them doing this business. It's God's idea to have the animals there, but not in the court of the Gentiles so people can't get to see it. 
What's with the money changers? Well, same time that you went to Jerusalem for this feast, you were supposed to pay a half shekel tax if you were a male, for every male, 20 years old and older. There were two silver coins minted at the temple. One was a shekel, one was a half shekel. But you couldn't pay that tax with Roman money. Why? Because the Roman had put Caesar on their coins, and the Jews saw that as idol worship. God didn't say so, but that's what they thought. They, they wouldn't take Greek money because the Greeks had Aphrodite, the female of sex goddess, and animals, and they, they saw those as graven images. They, they wouldn't take any other money except this temple money. The Egyptian money had a pharaoh on it who claimed to be God, Ra. So you would come and you would give them Roman money and they would give you silver from the temple. But it was a ripoff. It's like going to Europe and getting euro for an exchange, which is a bad deal. But if you went there to the temple and you gave them the equivalent of $4, say, of Roman money, they'd give you back $3 in temple money, 25% exchange fee. And so all that's going into the coffers, into the pockets of the priests. It's a franchise. And God is upset. He made a whip of cords, 15, drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. He was angry. A normal, natural response. Anger is the necessary counterpart to love. If you have children and somebody's trying to hurt your child, you get angry or your grandchild or whatever it is. God built those emotions of protection in us. How we respond or how we focus that anger is the difference. And we, you and I, have to be careful the way we try and focus our anger. So, it said he kicked him out of the temple. And in this case, he's talking about the temple that Herod had built. But in the New Testament, the word temple describes three different things. Number one, Jesus' physical body, his body was a temple. The church, the body of Christ, we are called the temple. You are living stone, part of the temple of God. And then you yourself, your own body is a temple because the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. You are a temple of God. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So we are known as a temple. But he's talking about the one Herod built. And he said to those who sold doves, take away these things. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So Jesus is speaking strongly to people who were hypocrites, who were claiming to be spiritual, but they were there to make money. God is always upset with people that act like they're holy when they're not. He is always compassionate on those who know that they're not holy and they need God's forgiveness. When you come with humbleness, when, you're, when you humble yourself before God, he says he will lift you up. But if you exalt yourself, 
tell God how good you are and how lucky he is to have you in his kingdom, then out comes the cords. <laughs> now, some followers of Jesus get that backwards. They are angry at sinners. There's even a you know, infamous church in the South that goes to vets' funerals and screams obscenities at them because they said they're, you know, working for a country that is, allows homosexuality. I've got news for them. God wants homosexuals to come to church here. Why? So they'll hear the gospel and get saved. He wants alcoholics to come. He wants heroin addicts. We had a guy in the old building sitting in the very back pew and one of the ushers came up to me and he said, hey, there's a guy in the back there that has a, a whiskey flask in his sock. And every once in a while, I'll take it out and screw the bottle. And I said, is he drunk? He said, very. He said, shall I throw him out? I said, no, I'm glad he's here. He said, what? Well, he's going to hear the gospel whether he wants to or not. So let's let him sit there. Well, people smell it. Jesus caused the most amount of controversy in his life because he ate lunch with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. Be like Jesus, okay? So when you see somebody that's all tatted up and, you know, has got a syringe hanging out of their arm, forgot to untie it, you know, a tourniquet, just say, we're glad you're here this morning because... Obviously, you need Jesus. You don't say that, but that's what you think. That's what Jesus is doing here. Notice it says, do not make my father's house a den of thieves. Jesus introduces that concept in the New Testament only. You cannot find God as father in the Old Testament. It is strictly a New Testament truth. Jesus taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven. His father's house, meaning that you and I are supposed to look at God as our father. Now, I always am careful when I say that because some of you didn't have good fathers. I was blessed to have probably the best father possible. Smartest man I've ever met, and I've worked with PhDs and MDs and very intelligent folks. But that's not true for all of you. So for those of you that don't have a good father figure, know that God is your father in all the ways your father wasn't or however you can put it together in your mind. My dad was there for me. He took me to Little League games. How did I learn how to fish? My dad took me there. How did I learn to work on a car? My dad did it with me. How did I learn to lay bricks? My dad showed me how to do it, mow the lawn. I mean, virtually everything mechanical in my life, as well as scientific, because he was a very gifted man. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, and we're going through John right now, verse by verse. Let's finish up chapter 2. God is your father who is trying to teach you like my dad taught me, particularly if you're young and just trying to wrap your mind around this whole Jesus thing. 
Jesus loves you and he has things for you to learn that will get you ahead in life for the rest of your life. Give your life significance like you never thought possible. So, my father's house, your father's house. When we get to chapter 8, Jesus is speaking very compassionately to the woman caught in adultery. And he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But he's speaking very strongly to these religious hypocrites that act like they've got it all together. Nobody does. We're all in process. But who he is, is someone who is gracious and loving and generous. So God is looking to clean up our temples too. Verse 17, then his disciples remembered it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. It's actually a psalm. That's Psalm 69, verse 9. And it was written, get this, 1000 BC. A thousand years before Jesus came to planet earth, King David wrote that down. That God was going to come and would show zeal for Father God's temple, the house. God is way ahead of us, okay? Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world, it says in the book of Revelation. That sin you did last week, the sin I did last week, yeah, I sinned. And don't give me that look, you do too. <laughs> I confess it, I ask for forgiveness. But was God surprised? No. Was he surprised when Adam sinned? No. Well, he knew the whole thing. Why did he let it go on? The Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the earth before Adam was even created. Jesus knew he would have to come and die in the place of sinners. That would be you. That would be me. God is amazing. Way beyond what we can wrap our mind around. So, resurrection, verse 18. So the Jews answered, and by the way, John, when he uses the word Jews, he's not talking about the the children of Abraham. He's talking about the religious leaders of that day. The Jews answered and said, and the priests that were standing there said, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Notice they don't argue that Jesus' actions were wrong, cleaning out the temple. They said, well, show us a miracle so that we know you have the authority to do this. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, they thought he was talking about Herod's temple. They said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and it still wasn't done. They started, it, Herod started in 20 BC. Uh, here, it's about 25 AD, 46 years, and it won't be finished until 67 AD. And it would stand for only three years until Titus the general, Titus Vespasian, would come down from Rome and destroy the temple. The Jews were so proud of it, it only lasted three years. But Jesus wasn't talking about that temple, verse 21. He's speaking of the temple of his body. He's talking about his resurrection 
rising up in three days. Now, John the Apostle, who's writing this gospel, is very forthright. He's very honest here. Therefore, when Jesus had risen from the dead, verse 22, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus said. It was only after Jesus rose from the dead that they believed he was God. Having trouble believing in Jesus? You're in good company. All the apostles had trouble too. Until he showed up in that room that night after he had risen from the dead. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, said, I I won't believe until I put my finger in his side. Jesus pops into the middle of the room with the doors and windows locked. He said, Thomas, (laughs) give me your finger. Oh, oh no, I believe now, Lord. Give me your finger. Thomas believed. Maybe you're Thomas. Maybe you're struggling with believing. You tell him that. Lord, if you're there, show me in a way I can't deny it. Now, I can say that to you with great confidence because I was an atheistic scientist sitting in a church service in Redondo Beach in 1972 at 8.15 in the evening with my wife, who is a Christian, sitting next to me, and I'm a heathen dog, and I prayed that prayer. I didn't think he would hear. I said, now, if you're real, show me in a way I can't deny it. Bubba. (laughs) God showed up, knocked me in completely down. Leaving the church, I got to finish the story, you'll think I'm crazy. Leaving the church that night, I mean, you think I'm crazy already, but leaving the church that night, the pastor stopped me and said, wait here a minute, turns around, grabs a Bible, and hands it to me like this, and said, I was in a Bible bookstore today, and God told me a scientist was going to come to church tonight who was an atheist who needed a Bible handed me a Bible. It's giant print. Not this one, but the one that I got that night. Why? Giant print because this scientist is going to become a pastor. Here. Does God know what's going on in your life? He knew what was going on in my life 48 years ago. And absolutely convinced me. Three days He'd raise it up. Now they believe because they saw him. Last section, Jesus couldn't trust anyone, verse 23. And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Jesus was doing miracles, but John doesn't record them. Well, I want to know what miracles he did. Sorry, you don't get to find out right now. When you get to heaven, you can ask him. Why? Because there's seven miracles that John writes about that all speak to why God, the Son, Jesus, is the creator. If you were here for last time, we looked at changing water to wine. And from my science background, that's the most amazing miracle in the entire Bible. Why? Because God took inorganic water, turned it into organic wine, and gave it vintage in that much time. He is God of time and God of chemistry. That's the first miracle. We got six more to look at in this book, and you'll love them. They're all like that. God, you're awesome. That's the only result you can come to. 
verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself to them. He didn't trust because he knew all humanity and had no need that anyone should testify of man, come and say who he was, for he knew what was in man. What is in man? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can trust it? Who can know it? Only God. You see, that kind of pulls back the cover for all of us. We're all sinners, and some have come with needle marks in their arms, heroin addicts. Some have come having attended church every Sunday all their lives. But they're still just like you and just like me. We're sinners saved by God's grace. He gives favor where we don't deserve it. And he invites us to spend eternity with him. That's the lamb speaking, okay? He is the lamb. Okay, so anger. We'll sum it up. Aristotle was a Greek philosopher, not a Christian at all. But even he understood anger. He said anyone can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, now that's difficult. And he's absolutely right. We naturally get angry. Nobody has to command us to get anger. We get anger and then what do we do with it? Cowboy philosopher Will Rogers. Whenever you fly into a rage, you seldom make a safe landing. Fly into a rage. Chuck Swindoll, favorite illustrator. He said, I got so angry that I gave him a piece of my mind. And it was a piece that I couldn't afford to lose. The focus of Jesus' anger is because of their stubborn hearts. Jesus was tempted to go beyond what was the right thing, but instead he did it in such a way nobody could miss it. So, you and I need to remove barriers in our own lives, not just as a church, but as an individual. What are some of the barriers that can exist in your life that you need to allow God to tear down? We need to be transparent, authentic, genuine, so people can see us who we really are. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Not closing doors in the faces of sinners like the Pharisees did, but inviting them. Jesus sat down with sinners. When's the last time you sat down with a sinner to a meal so that you could explain salvation to them? We try and remove barriers here to make everyone feel welcome. We don't care what you wear. We don't care how drunk you are. We'd rather you were sober. The gospel makes a lot more sense when you're sober. We care, but we give you space because we remember how we were when we came. God is inviting. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again 
and find more information about the Packing House Christian Fellowship. That's thepackinghouse.org. You can also call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE. And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Chuck Smith titled, Why Grace Changes Everything. You'll discover the difference grace will make for you. It transforms our lives into something beautiful. Read all about it in this Christian classic. And we'll send it your way when you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount. You can reach us again at 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. You know, and even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of John. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say, let this world know me by your.